Well, tonight we're going to take a look at what is considered to be, by most, a boring list of names in this seventh chapter of Nehemiah. But we're going to be looking for several things to help bring some excitement into this section of Scripture. The first is something very important to God that we all can do, but not everyone does. The second is that people maintain their call from God despite a lack of opportunity to operate in that call. And I thought that was very interesting to notice that here. Third reason why some of the priests lack proof of the of their priestly lineage and how that corresponds to us today. And fourth, something missing from this list of people involved in the work that we often include in our list of people today. Now, there's more than that, but we'll focusing on those four. We'll make sure that by the end we have some answers for those those four things. My wife was going to be sharing tonight. She was having some difficulty getting the final parts of it together. So I told her I already had this already, so we could go ahead and, and sub this in. So somewhere down the road, she will be bringing us that. There are, uh, from the last time we were here, which I guess has been a couple of weeks now, we saw that once we have things of value, things do change. We, we need to protect what we have if we're going to maintain the things that we have of value. While Jerusalem was broken down, there was nothing really of great value in the city because you couldn't guard it. But once they had the wall, once they had the gate, now we can start putting some valuable things inside. So we looked at three ways that God protects things that he considered to be valuable. First off, were those things that were hidden. There were some truths that were hidden. There were some mysteries. There were some revelations that were hidden. God considers them valuable. Wasn't quite ready for them to come out. So he would hide them until the time that was appointed. Remember, Daniel was looking for that one thing and then it was revealed to him what it was. Second one was those things that are secured. They're not able to be hidden. So they were locked up in, in some way. Remember John in his book of Revelation? And even Jesus with the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's not time for this yet. Lock this up. Hold this back. Uh, there's some things that's not for other people. You've got to keep them secured from other people. Uh, this isn't for them. Uh, God spoke to Moses for 40 days twice, but we don't have all the things that God spoke to him because what we have wouldn't fill up 40 days. So there are some things that were there. Then there are the third area, that's those things that are guarded. We are told to stand guard over some things. First Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. We have to stand guard on the truth that we have received because it is something that is valuable. Some of those things are to be guarded, some are to be hidden, and some are to be secured. And that was our focus from Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's pick up here at Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it in my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found the register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. Now here, 
what he is going to write is the registry of what he found. He does not write in here the registry of what they took in the census. This is what came over with the group from Ezra. Now, what is uh, interesting about this particular list is if you go over to Ezra, we did spend time on this list in Ezra chapter 2. There was a lot of thought that this uh, list was inserted into Ezra probably by a later person who compiled it, and that could have been someone like Malachi. Because the list is, is very close. There, there's a, a few spelling differences, things like that, but they're very, very close. And since Nehemiah says that he found it, it would seem that it was not found by Ezra. But it sure makes sense to have it in the book of Ezra. So Nehemiah doesn't record the registry that he came up with. That one's not recorded in his book here, but it is recorded. They did write that down. He's writing down the one of the people that came up from before. Now, he says here that the city was bigger than they needed. Of course, they didn't have too much choice on what to do. They were repairing the walls. They were not just building new walls. And so the walls were where they were. But as they closed all these walls in, even though we may look at it and say, well, it's not a very big city, it was bigger than what they needed. But that's okay. It's always better to build something bigger than what you needed and... Uh, have room to expand another way around. I heard people talk about the Schuylkill Expressway, which I know not everybody likes to drive on. But I heard when they built it, when they finally finished the Schuylkill Expressway, it was already uh, outdated by the time they, they built it. It was already too small. They should have made it bigger, but they didn't. And now, of course, it's really difficult to make things like that bigger. But always build bigger than what you need. That way God can come in and fill it up. Now in January, because all the way back to January when we were in Ezra chapter 2, we examined some of the differences in the two lists. We're not really going to spend too much time on that. Mostly these lists are the same. Now before we looked at that list as far as the makeup of those who made the trip, here we're going to take a look at the list that Nehemiah takes. And though he does not necessarily record it, we'll look at the application of that list to the people in his day. Let's pick up here at verse 6. There are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, who Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his city. Those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bish, Bilshan, Mispereth, Bigvi, Nehem, Bana, the number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2,172. The sons of Shephatiah, 372. The sons of Ara, 652. The sons of Pahath, Moab, of the sons of Jeshua, and Joab, 2,818. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 800. And 45, the sons of Zakai, 760. The sons of Benuah, 648. The sons of Bebai, 628. The sons of Asgad, 2,322. The sons of Adonikam, 667. The sons of Bigvai, 2,000. And 67, the sons of Adin, the 655, the sons of Atir, 
of Hezekiah, 98 the sons of Hashum, 328 the sons of Bazai, 324 the sons of Harif, 112 the sons of Gibeon, 95 the men of Bethlehem and Atopha, 188 the men of Anathoth, 128 the men of Beth Asmavath, 42 the men of Kirjath Jerem, Chephirath, and Beroth, 743, the men of Ramah and Gibeah, 621, the men of Michmas, 122, the men of Bethel and Ai, 123, the men of other Nebo, that part there, the other is um, questionable as to whether it's there, because in Ezra's list it just says the men of Nebo, 52, the sons of the other Alam, 1,254, the sons of Harim, 320, the sons of Jericho, 345, the sons of Lod, Hadid, Anna, 721, the sons of Sena, 3,930, the priests, the sons of Jediah, the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Emir, 1,052, the sons of Pasher, 1,247, the sons of Harim, 1,017. Now this list shows up, as we said, in, those, in these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, but it also shows up in an apocrypha book called the first book of Esdras. And for the most part, all these lists are the same. When we get to the animals, the first book of Esdras has very, very different numbers. Uh, I'm not real sure what happened with them, but again, that's not one of the Bible books. That's one of the apocrypha books. Now it seems that entire families made the trip, not just individuals of the families. I think that is really interesting to see that an entire family would make the trip. Can you imagine all those families being in agreement to go? I can just see some of the people, I don't want to make that trip, but it doesn't list any partial families going. It says the families here. So I would assume that that meant the entire family had gone. But each family who got involved in what God wanted to do is mentioned by name here. In this list, this is the list who made the trip. Nehemiah is also going to be making a trip, uh, a list, and his list probably not only includes the families, it also includes all the individuals of the, of those families, because he's taking a census. He wants to know how many people and where they are. That's probably part of his strategy. He wants to, he wants to get the city to be inhabited by people. And so one of the things you can do is you take a census and you find out where all the people are, well, if we got a whole lot of people over here in this village, wouldn't you rather be in a walled city? Hey, but if you all make a trip over here, look at how few people are in here. So that's probably just something that he's using to help get people motivated to move on over into the city that they just finished in closing. But each family got mentioned here. Now, there are likely many that God had called and answered no. There are probably a whole lot of families out there that God said, hey, I want you to go and make the trip to Jerusalem. And they said, no, we're not going to go. They don't get mentioned. We don't have any mentions of anybody who said, uh, I'm not going to go. They're left off. The only ones that get mentioned are the ones who made the trip. And those families have been in the Word of God for all these years. No matter how small or low, large the role, these families are here listed. There's no qualifier. Well, this family only did so much. 
There's no qualifier that this family did so much. They did all, they did all this thing, they put all this money in. There's no, no qualifiers about it all. If they made the trip and they endured, they're in there. We don't have any of their roles. It is only their presence. To me, that seems like to, to be just like salvation. You just need to be listed in the book. That's it. We got a book of life out there, and in that book of life, it doesn't say anything about your calling, about what you brought to the table. It just says your name. And that's all this list is. This list is just the name. This is the family that came. There's no merit for what you have done, and that's kind of like salvation. We could say we're just, our names are in the book of life. That's, we are glad to be there. Now there will come a judgment seat of Christ, and that's where the rewards are handed out. Some are more faithful, more diligent, maybe even more gifted. And those things will come out in the judgment seat of Christ. But if you show up at the judgment seat of Christ, that means you're in. There's nothing wrong with that. You are in. You cannot get to the judgment seat of Christ unless your name was written in the book. And if your name is written in the book, you're in. I put this in your outline for you. Obedience to the call and endurance through the obstacles is what mattered. That is something that matters to God. God wants people that will be obedient to the call and endure the obstacles. And in this section, there is no focus on how much you are gifted with, what your role is, none of that. And you know, this is something that God looks for. God wants people that are present. God wants people that are obedient. He wants people that will endure what is needed to be present for what He asks them to do. That's something that matters to God. And it's something that everybody can do, but not everybody does. Verse 43. In verse 43, we have a change. We're not just listing people. Now we're going to list some of the things, some of the specialties they have. Some of the things that they did in particular. In verse 43, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Carmel, and of the sons of Hodeva, 74, the singers, the sons of Asaph, 148, the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atir, the sons of Taman, the sons of Akbad, the sons of Hatita, and the sons of Shobai, 138. So these are ones who have specific roles. They had a role in Jewish society, in Babylon. I think that was so so interesting to note. Because when it, this is written, this is the list of people that are in Babylon. And it lists their roles from Jewish society. So 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And these people that were Levites, these people that were singers, these people that were gatekeepers, still had that role, even though they've been in Babylon for 70 years. Now Babylon is missing a few things. First off, it's missing the temple. Secondly, there's no sacrifices. What's a Levite to do? There's no temple. What's a singer to do? What's a gatekeeper to do? How did they maintain their role in the land of Babylon? How well would you do staying in your role and finding a function in a city like Babylon. There's no temple, there's no sacrifice, there's no gates. It would be like a preacher with no pulpit. 
a worship leader with no band or microphone. An usher with no congregation. Too often, our roles become limited by the things that support it instead of the gift that God has given. Isn't that something we can fall into? I need all the things that support my gift. No, the gift that God gave you is different. In Proverbs eighteen sixteen, it says, A man's, man's gifts make room for him and brings him before great men. Just because you don't have a pulpit as a preacher doesn't mean there aren't people out there to teach. Just because you don't have a band and a microphone as a worship leader doesn't mean there isn't a place that you can sing and praise God. Just because there is no congregation with seated pews doesn't mean that you can't usher. If God put the gift in you, your gift will find a place for it. Sometimes we limit the gift that we have to the places where it has been executed. You know, I knew early on that God had called me to be a teacher, but when I started, I was teaching kids, and then I was teaching youth. And I knew God didn't call me to stay there, but I knew I was very satisfied there. I remember a number of times telling him, you know, I know you didn't call me to be a youth uh, pastor, but if if you ever change your mind, I'm fine. <laughs> but eventually, that uh, things changed, and and we moved. I never was never looked back on it you'll find that there's a gift that's on the inside of you. Don't limit it to the places that it has been exercised. Find out where God can do it Do it then. These gifts continued 70 years of exile. Can you imagine if they would have said, well, I, I know I'm a Levite, but there's no sacrifice, so I guess I can't be a Levite now. I know I'm a singer, but there's no temple. I know I'm a gatekeeper, but there's no gates for me to watch. So we had the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and then the thinims, which are the roles that are singled out. Now the non-priestly Levites are divided into three classes. We gave you this before. There's the ordinary. And here we see this in verse 43. There's the choral or the singers. We see that in verse 44. And the gatekeepers. Now if you're wondering what a gatekeeper is, there's several things that happens with a gatekeeper. First off, there is the temple gatekeepers. Secondly, there are the city gatekeepers. And what they would do, in the temple gatekeeper, you would have, uh, they would actually be, be assigned, they were, they were given, I believe in Solomon's day, who was the one who really put these, these guys in there, 200, if I remember right, 212 gatekeepers he put in place. And so they would rotate on and off, and they would be on for a week, and they would basically live there at the temple. And so I believe they were going on 12-hour shifts, if I remember the, the way that was uh, divided up. And you had to make sure that in the morning, at the appropriate time, the gate to the temple was open. And at nighttime, the gate was locked. You had to make sure that the people that were going in to the gate did not bring anything that they shouldn't bring in. That they would uh, desecrate the temple area. That was your role. You had to make sure. You had to check everybody who came in to make sure they did not have stuff that was not supposed to be on the grounds of the temple. Then when people would leave, you'd have to make sure that they were not leaving with things they were not supposed to take home. They were supposed to be here at the temple. This was the role of the gatekeeper. Same thing with the gatekeepers in the city. You've got to make sure that whoever's coming in is supposed to be coming in. 
whoever's going out is allowed to go out. And the things that are taken out are okay to go out. You know, it's kind of like those people over at Costco. The little gatekeepers they got there. When you're going out there with your stuff, they want to check out and make sure that all the stuff that you have is stuff you have. I know there's different opinions on that. I don't go to Costco too often. Maybe three times a year I may get into a Costco. But uh, my wife will tell me she'll go in there and she said she just gets, she doesn't want to wait in the long line. She said, I was already back over there. Your people already checked me out. <laughs> so she's, she's just ready to go. I've heard a lot of people say stuff like that. They don't want to be waiting in another line to get out of the store with the things they have. But that's what the gatekeepers would do. They had an important role. So if you were called one of the, the Levites who was specifically a gatekeeper, you had to take that job seriously. This was important stuff. You imagine if you let something wrong into the temple and shut down some operations for the day. That wouldn't go over too well. You got to make sure that you take it into, take it and be serious about it. It is not hard to see the correspondence of a gatekeeper in our lives here in New Testament saints. Because we are supposed to guard what enters into our heart, what enters into our thoughts. We are to guard what exits our mouth. There's supposed to be a gatekeeper on. In fact, one place in, um, in Psalms, it says, it, it asks the Lord, I think Psalm 141, verse 3. And that's the Lord to make sure that there is a gatekeeper on the mouth. To make sure that our mouth doesn't speak the wrong things. Because with your mouth, you can, you can let exit stuff that shouldn't go. With your eyes, with your ears, you can bring things in that shouldn't come in. We need to have gatekeepers on ourselves. We need to make sure that we take that role seriously. I'm not letting that in the gate. I'm not letting that out of the gate. I'm going to watch my words. I'm going to watch the things that I say to, to the people there. Well, verse 46, the Nethinim, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hashufa, the sons of Tabath, the sons of Keras, the sons of Sia, the sons of Padan, the sons of Labana, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Samai, the sons of Hanah, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Reyal, the sons of Razin, the sons of Nakara, the sons of Gazim, the sons of Uza, the sons of Tasheya, the sons of Basai, the sons of Meninim, the sons of Nephishim, the sons of Bakpuk, the sons of Hakupa, Hakufa, the sons of Harhar, the sons of Baslith, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Hashar, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tamal, the sons of Naziah, the sons of Hatifa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sophera, the sons of Parida, the sons of Jala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Shaphatai, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pokereth, the sons of Zabeam, the sons of Ammon, and all the Nathanim, and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. These are Solomon's servants. They were formed from the remnant of the Canaanite population that survived at his day into a separate servile class that he put into forced labor. I think that it is amazing that during the Chaldean invasion, these folks were taken and maintained a separate identity and still maintained the role. 
of temple servants. 70 years. You would think that they just either corporate into society or maybe they just want their freedom, but apparently they actually liked being temple servants, being a servant in the house of God. They thought this was all right. They thought this was a good place to be. And so they, they maintained their identity and when the opportunity came to go back to Jerusalem from Babylon and take up that role of being a temple servant, sign me up. A number of them, I don't know how many didn't. Can't tell you that number because the only numbers we know is the people who went. They got their names written in the book. But then we come to a group of people who were disqualified. Verse 61. And these were the ones who came up from Tel Melah, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Emir. But they could not identify their father's house nor their lineage, whether they were of Israel. The records on these is incomplete. And since the purity of the priesthood line cannot be proven, it is assumed to be compromised. Isn't that interesting? If you can't prove through your lineage that you are a priest, we are going to assume it is because you could not. Now, why else would the proof not be there? Because if you were called to be a priest, you would make sure that you would guard that lineage. You would make sure that you could prove this lineage because you know you'd have to prove it. So why would any priest not have the documents to prove their right to function in the role that God called them to do? Well, there's four reasons they may not have such proof. I was thinking about this and I came up with four reasons. You might come up with a fifth or a sixth. I'm not saying that there's only four reasons. I'm just telling you. I put some thought to it. I came up with four reasons. First off, no honor. No honor. The documents, the proof that they had was lost in the chaos of the city's fall to Babylon. Now, what does that have to do with no honor? Simply this. God's prophets prophesied that destruction was coming. It told them that Babylon was coming and was going to tear down the city. God's prophets said this. If you are a priest and you know that your livelihood depends on you having those documents, that that, uh, heritage, what do you do? You gather them up, just like we do today. You get your birth certificate, you get your marriage license, you get all that sort of important paperwork. You got it in a place where you can go get it. If you're a priest, you have this paperwork, you know where it is, you gather it up. So that if they come storming through, I've got my paperwork. And there's a whole lot of them who did it. But apparently, there's this one group. Now they love what they do because they wanted to make the trip to come back to Jerusalem to be priests. But they didn't save their paperwork. It may not be these particular individuals. It may be their their parents. Somebody did not honor what God had spoken through his prophets. I don't know if that's God. I don't really think, not taking it seriously. They did not put honor to the words that God had spoken. And when the breach of the wall came, they were not ready and their documents were lost. There was no honor for God's words spoken through his prophets. Here's the second one, no need. There's no need. I don't think that they would be coming back to that role. So there's no need. I mean, Jerusalem is being destroyed. There's no need for us to preserve all these kind of documents. The temple is being destroyed. The city is being destroyed. We won't be coming back here. There won't be any need for us to be taking care of a temple. 
There's no need. There were many like Daniel who knew and believed in the future Israel. Even though it may not have been exactly clear what that future was, they believed that there was a future for Israel. And they held on to there's going to be a need. There are many priests who didn't buy into this. They said, no, there is going to be a need for us and we need to be able to show this. And they gathered up those documents and for 70 years they preserved those documents in a foreign land because they were determined there was going to be a need. There's a third one, no love. They had lost their love for the role God gave to them. They didn't see it as a gift anymore. Remember all the corruption that was in the city before it fell? The things that prophets were saying? They may have lost their love for the things of God. Maybe they lost their love because they picked up a love for idolatry. They picked up a love for the corrupt worship of some form. Maybe they lost their love because they still had a love for God but couldn't see it being corrupted the way that it was and just decided, I don't want to be involved in temple worship if it's going to be carried out like this. Don't know what it was, but somehow they lost their love. I don't care if we ever do this again. I don't like doing it. They lost their love for it. Here's the fourth one. No concern. They didn't care if their descendants had the same opportunity to serve as they had. Well, by the time we get back here, it won't be me that's serving. I don't care what happens. Let my kids figure it out when they get there. No concern. Well, those are four things I came up with with why they may have let their heritage go away. But still we have a group of people. They're disqualified. They know they don't have their way to prove their heritage. But they made the trip back to Jerusalem anyway. Verse 61. And these were the ones who came up from Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Emir. But they could not identify their father's house nor their lineage, whether they were of Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, 640 Two. And of the priests, the sons of Habai, the sons of Kaz, the sons of Barzillai, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with the Aram and Thuman. So they were going to allow God to speak into these situations. They were going to call upon the Urim and the Thuman and see if God would say yes or no, this one can be a priest. Because God would know whether their heritage was true. And maybe some of the people that are there, they were willing to make the trip, but they were not involved in the loss of the documents. And maybe God would have some mercy on them and through these these things, the uh, again, the, the human and the thuman is just a yes or no answer. So they would just present the priest. Is this priest uh, able to serve? And the answer would come up, yes or no. And no one could argue with it. They couldn't say, well, I know that's not, I know I'm, um, I'm pure, pure priest line. Now it came up, it said no. Somewhere in there you must have had wrong thing come in. 
whatever it might be. But I think it would be, it is refreshing that they would not compromise the standards by people just saying, I identify as a priest. Because that's really what they would be doing. They couldn't prove it. They would just say, I believe that I am a priest. And they would not let them in. Verse 66, all together, the whole assembly <clears throat> was 42,360. That's not how many are in Nehemiah's day. That's how many came over. 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 245 men and women singers, their horses were 736, their mules 245, and their camels 435, and donkeys 6,720. The number of 42,360 is the same for all three lists, despite the variances that occur in the list themselves. That's amazing right there. Verse 70. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 gold drachmas, 50 basins, 530 priestly garments. Some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the treasury of the work 20,000 gold drachmas, 2,200 silver minas. And that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 gold drachmas, 2,000 silver minas, and 70, 67 priestly garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and some of the people, the Nathanim, and all of Israel dwelt in their cities. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now, does this mean that more people inhabited the cities than at the beginning? Did they move from the villages? That was Nehemiah's goal, was to fill the, the cities. Don't know if that uh, helped to fill it, but they needed to get more people into the cities. They needed the people to get in there, build some houses, and get those uh, cities functional, get those cities working. And so it all started small. Now, we do know after this point, by the time we get to Jesus, that the city had, expand, had been expanded, I believe, at least twice. So it was growing. And they had to expand the walls out, I believe, the... Uh, uh, to the, one of the places where Hezekiah had expanded them to. And then they also went northward and expanded it out to, to that direction. So they made the city bigger than what it was. But right now, this city is bigger than they need. But there's something that's completely missing from this list that I think we include whenever we make a list of people that are serving in ministry, that are serving God, that are doing whatever it is. And that is the personalities of each person that make their gift or talent less or more desirable to receive from. Don't you find this? You listen to a preacher on the on YouTube or the listen to him on the radio or watch him on TV. How many of you pick out some personality differences in that minister that you don't like? And the ones we don't like stand out far more than the ones that we do. We can always pick it out. Oh, I don't like this one. It's too, it's not enough. It's too much. It's whatever it might be. We can come up with things. But there are certain things in their, in their flesh that, uh, that come up into this and it can hinder us from receiving them. Now sometimes when we, we bring out the, the Monday teaching, I'll tell you about a little quirk or uh, some kind of a shortcoming that might be there, mostly because I don't want you to focus on it. So if I warned you about it ahead of time, I'm hoping that you won't focus on it so much that you'll miss the point. 
of what's there. But uh, uh, myself, there's still times that people's flesh tendencies, oh, they can get to me. I mean, people, uh, I've, I've made mention before, and every sentence, every other sentence is the word okay. Or, you know, or just different, they just keep reusing these words and it just, it can kind of grate on you after a while. It's their flesh. And they may have something important to say, they may have something good to say, but they got so much flesh going on, we can't get through it. We have to make sure that what's going on in the personalities of each person doesn't cause us to not receive what it is they have to, to say. Because there's all kinds of personalities and you're not going to avoid having the personality. People like to talk about Elijah and Elisha having a similar anointing that came on them, but it was very different in Elijah than what it was on Elisha. And some people probably say, I like the way Elijah functioned. I don't like what this Elisha guy is doing. And other people didn't like the way Elijah functioned. They thought it was too coarse, too rough. And here comes Elisha. Oh, he's much easier to get along with. That's much easier to listen to him than it is to Elijah. Elijah, he just was too too rough for me. Too coarse. I just, I just didn't like it. We have to be careful about that. Might be in teaching, prophecy, ministry, whatever it might be. We have to make sure that we don't let their flesh keep us from receiving from the gift that God put on them. Now, as a minister, it's our responsibility to remove those flesh things, that personality stuff. As much as you can, you're not going to get rid of all of it. Some of the beauty is just the, the personality. And after a while, you know, you can just really enjoy the personality of the person. I mean, Brother Hagin has a certain personality of how he presents the Word of God and how he ministers. Some people, I, I like I like that personality. It's there. It's very, very soothing for me. Very much at ease with that. Uh, Brother Price, I love it. Very different from Brother, Brother uh, Hagin. Very different. But he's very soothing for me. I can sit and listen to him and it just relaxes me. Uh, he's very intense. But I love his intensity. I love the way that he fires it out, out, at, the, out at you. Uh, I like that. There's other people, I'm listening to them, they don't relax me. They get me more intense, uh, more tensed up because it's like, no, you shouldn't be saying that. No, you shouldn't be doing that. Why are you getting in? Oh, that's wrong. Oh, you shouldn't. And the, those kind of things can just kind of, kind of throw you. The personality is going to come out. It is going to be there. And we just have to make sure that we don't let that hinder us from receiving what those things are. As a receiver, it's our responsibility to get past some of the flesh to get at the gift that God has given. Don't let the gift go by. Get that. John the Baptist, I'm sure he would offend a lot of people. He was not much for decorum. He didn't care too much of what you even thought about him. And some people would uh, would not like that. Jesus even made mention of that. John came at you this way. Y'all didn't like that. I came at you differently. And you still don't like that. Some people just want a reason not to accept the things that God has for them. Now, I made this note some time back that some ministers minister only out of the gift from the Holy Spirit while others mix in the character of the Holy Spirit. Some people, all they have is the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's not a whole lot else there. If you look at some of these people, they came out of the healing revival. 
if you, I mean, you can, go, you have to go back. It's hard to watch the videos because, by today's standards, they are nothing. They are black and white, and I mean choppy and and all that. But if you just watch some of these ministers, that had great healing anointings on them, great giftings was on them. But I've listened to many of them preach. It's like, boy, I don't know if I could have stayed in the room very long. Their doctrine was wrong. Their understanding on things was wrong. They're coarse. They're harsh. Uh, there just wasn't a whole lot of substance there. But then when they would minister in that gifting, oh boy, I'll tell you what, things happened. <laughs> people getting out of wheelchairs. Uh, dead people getting up out of, out of where they were at. Uh, just amazing things that would go on with all that. Sometimes people never press in to get the character of God to affect them. They're too completely content in operating the gift of God only. You need to have both. Not just operating the gift of God, but also operating the character of God. Now today we'll see this in a lot of people. They're rude, they're obnoxious, but then they get in the pulpit and they start ministering and the Spirit of God is flowing and things are going on and we sit there and we shake our head. How can that be? You ever wonder that? How can that person be that way? See, they've never mixed in the character of God. And for whatever the reason, you can get to heaven, you can talk to management about this, for whatever the reason, you don't have to mix in the character of God to flow in the gift of God. But you make the gift of God a lot easier for people to receive when you flow in the character of God. Now, there's a consequence for not flowing in the character of God. But that's not for you or I to, to hand out. That's for... Uh, that's, that'll be taking care of the judgment seat of Christ. We don't need to be, be doing all that. But uh, just because some people can do it doesn't mean that we should. Look to get the character of God mixed into your personality. Get that character. You can still be who you are. You can still be your personality, but get that character of God coming in. Get that mercy. Get that love. Get that hope. Get all those things from the character of God. Get them mixed in there. I put this in your outline for you. A gifting God gave you can pass through your flesh and believe and be flagrant. Or pass through your spirit and be fragrant. It's up to you. You can either have what you do for God be obnoxious to people, or you can have what you do to God be a sweet smelling aroma to people. And that part is up to us. Now, from the four things we told you about in the beginning. First thing, show up and be present when God calls. If God calls, be obedient. Show up and be present. Don't look at how you're gifting. Don't look at the role God's called you to. The first thing that he starts out in this chapter, and one of the things we know that is important to God is, show up, be present. He doesn't want to hear excuses for why you're not there. He wants to know that you got there. That's the main thing. Show up. Be present when God calls. The second, not having the place for ministry you think you should have or need is not a reason to be idle in your gift. If people in the land of Babylon could maintain their calling as priests, as Levites, as gatekeepers, as singers, and as temple servants, how much more can we 
maintain our gift and calling. Despite the fact that I don't think I had the right place to operate in that. I don't think I had the right tools. I don't think I had the right things around me. Whatever it might be. Third, continually prove your calling. Continually prove your calling. Honor what God speaks to you into the body. When God has spoken the word, and we know that it was God that spoke it, honor it. Don't be one of those who just says, well, I don't think they're going to break through the walls today. I don't think that Babylon is really going to overtake Jerusalem. I don't think God's going to allow it. Yeah, but what's this prophet saying? Honor what God speaks to you into the body. Now, you also got to make sure that you judge the words because there's a whole lot of false words that will come out. All you got to determine is, did God say it? I don't have to be super smart. I just got to find out, God, are you in that? That's it. God, if you're in it, I may not understand it, but if I know you're in it, that's where we go, and I can I can give honor to that thing. God has a need for you and your place in the body. He has a need for you and for your place in the body. Maintain the love for the role that God gave you. Maintain that love. You gotta continually be proving your calling. You gotta keep going over the love that you have. Because the enemy is always going to get you to despise your role. Seventy years in the land of Babylon, I'll bet you some priest had to fight off some some uh, desire to resent their calling. Some Levites, some gatekeepers, they had a reason to resent their calling. Maintain that love for the role that God has given you. As God is mindful of those who would come after you, you be as well. Don't let what you have die with you. There's people that you can pass it on to. There's people who have a similar calling that you have. Pass on what you've learned. Find someone with a similar gift and help train them up in it. And here's the fourth thing. Look to get the flesh out surrounding your gift. Look to get the flesh out surrounding your gift. But work to receive others despite the flesh they have. How good it would be if no matter how much flesh a person has, I can find the God in it and receive that. But how good it is too when I look at my own life and I say, that was my flesh bringing that part of it out. That's my flesh that's doing that. I need to get rid of those things. I need to let the God shine through more because my flesh will make the God in me harder to see. So I need to be just as diligent to get rid of that flesh as I am diligent to receive despite the flesh in someone else. If I can receive what God has given through another gift and another minister, despite the flesh, if I can receive what God has, I myself will be made better. I can determine what is the God in what they're saying. May not always like how they re- how they do it, how they say it, but we got we got to work to get on through that. Because there's things out there, there's people that have something to share. God has given them something. We gotta we gotta find out what it is. Father, I thank you that you help us. 
in our role down here to serve you. And we want to get rid of all the flesh that we can and help us as we look upon others to not judge them because of the flesh they're still surrounded with, but to receive from them what you have put inside of their life. Let us receive from the God things that you've given them and not let the flesh be a hang-up. I thank you, Father, for the help that you give us in this. That when we get to the end, you know that we were present. You know that we obeyed your call. We didn't let all the things that people did to us stop us from operating in the gift that you gave us. But we kept pressing through. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.